that's why we're having this conversation is because right. we when we earlier we decided that mentoring has become such a relevant component of our profession that it warrants a conversation yes and that understanding that there are resources and you may not find them in the practice that you're working but there are resources for you as a mentee to help you deal with the social components, the communication components, the psychological components, and even to a degree, the, the clinical components of being a new contributor to the veterinary profession and affording yourself of these opportunities to make sure that you can become all that you can be is extremely important to your career satisfaction and your career longevity. Welcome to Peter and Phil's Courageous Conversations, a podcast addressing race relations and social issues in hopes that you'll be inspired to do the same. Now, let's begin our conversation with your hosts, Dr. Peter Weinstein and Dr. Philip Nelson. Dr. Nelson, always good to see you. Welcome back to our Courageous Conversations and want to again thank Nationwide for supporting our conversations, our discussions, and our efforts to encourage others to have these types of conversations. So, Phil, good to see you. Good to see you too, Peter. And I too want to acknowledge Nationwide support uh, as well as the support that I get from you in these conversations. I learn a lot. I consider you not just a friend, but a self-appointed mentor too, in certain ways. So it's a good choice of words because I think the topic that is extremely common in the veterinary field and really in all fields in terms of growth is the term mentor. And I think there's a lot of sometimes over overuse of the term. I, I think there's a lot of uncertainty about what it means. I, I think as you noted you know, that you consider me to be a mentor for you. And I would say the reverse is true. And when we were speaking in, in the pre-talk, uh, you mentioned that you have a mentor that's 20 years your senior. And I would suggest that I probably have similar. But I think, uh, I think mentoring and mentorship and mentors is a great discussion and a, a great area that, that we could start and it could go on for hours. So I, I look forward to... Uh, chatting with you about this concept of mentoring and, and ask you about when did you first think about mentoring uh, or even mentors? Is, is this something that went back to high school or is it something that, that really didn't develop in your world until you were a dean? Oh, no. Oh, hell no. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Not even heck no. That was a hell no. Okay. That's no, I'm sorry, but I, I think, you know, the first thing, you normally have a Googled mentor and come up with a definition. So why don't we start with your definition of mentoring, the standard definition of mentoring? Well, see, that that's interesting because there are so many different definitions of mentoring that I really didn't look up a Google definition of mentoring. I can tell you that mentoring came from a Greek individual by the name of Mentor. I believe going way back because I did some research from that standpoint, but mentoring has so many different ways and definitions. And no, I didn't look it up because it's, it's, it could be a teacher. It could be a coach. It could be an educator. There's so many different things. And in many ways, our parents are our first mentors. 
That's good. I mean, uh, although when you do Google it, you'll see that people actually try to parse mentoring versus coaching versus teaching. Right. And for those who value their role as educators, I will tell you that I think mentoring mentoring includes a commitment and engagement that's different from teaching and and coaching actually almost imbues a business relationship between the the mentor and mentee. There are expected outcomes, whereas mentoring is, is more of a uh, volunteer voluntary relationship on both sides, a sense of engagement where the mentee hopes to gain from the experience of the mentor and to learn a few tricks of the trade. But in those type of mentoring relationships, you don't necessarily get down to the nitty gritty of educate, of, of, of learning skills at a basic concept, conceptual level. And, um, and, I would, and I would add that not only does the mentee gain from the mentor, but the mentor gains from the mentee. It's two well, ways. One would hope. Right. Uh, it does not always happen that way. And sometimes it is purely one-sided. I have had been in, I have been in mentoring relationships where uh, I am gratified by the assistance I've been able to provide, but I didn't get much out of it other than that gratification. Again, because of the casual nature of the relationship, as as well as the uh, intermittent intervals in that relationship, but I was happy to be available in order to provide guidance, whether the mentee followed it or not. In some cases, I don't even know if they followed it. Uh, I just know that I provided a perspective for them to be considered. But back to your original question, as you always do, because you, you tend to put a paragraph into a question. You know, most of us started without, with uh, a family member serving as a mentor in some form or capacity. And my father was definitely that individual. But I think the one thing I did learn from my father was there were things to learn from others. And those things were different than what you learn in school. It's they're the lessons of life. They're how you navigate the social sphere and how you respond to challenges within uh, your social sphere of influence. I, I think both of my parents were mentors in their own way. My mom was a teacher, biology teacher, and she was very good about mentoring from an education standpoint and helping guide thoughts and even critique uh, the process of being a student. And my, da my dad was an accountant and a business person. And so from him, I saw the business side of things. Eventually my mom actually went into business after she stopped teaching. And so I started to see some different things and they were both highly involved with the community. So I saw from a mentee standpoint, how important it was to be involved with the community. And then down the road, they were very involved with philanthropy and I got very involved from that standpoint and got mentored 
uh, or I was a mentee uh, from from both of them when it came down to philanthropy. So I would suggest in my situation, both of my parents provided different types of mentoring. The outcome is that I, I think I have done the same thing for my kids as a mentor to them. Yeah, I, I, I probably had different experiences. My mother was more of a nurturing influence. It's, and it's not that I didn't learn from her, but I didn't have deep discussions. We had deep discussions through my father, meaning we were all in the room and they had similar views. And when they didn't, I learned a lot. My mother taught me my value systems and enforced her value systems. But that was a different era then. She didn't have her own career. She was a stay-at-home wife, and she was she was responsible for all family matters. And, and as I said, that was a totally different era. But by no means was she not in charge. But the mentoring relationship was clearly between my father and I. We used to take rides sometimes just so he could talk. And in those instances, I'm not so sure he was mentoring me as much as he was talking out loud about his own problems. You know, um, and I learned how to pierce into those problems and pull out lessons for myself and became uh, acutely aware of issues long before I had to deal with them. You know, you mentioned something that it was um, kind of a generational difference with your mom. Uh, but we're both from a similar generation. Could it have been um, just in, almost an environmental difference as well? Uh, I, I think um, growing up in the Northeast versus growing up in the South, growing up in, in a white privileged background versus the challenges that you had, could there, could there have been some, not so much generational difference, but, but almost environmental differences? <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. There were influences. Those factors influenced our, uh, 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 differences. However, uh, I'm not sure that matters in, uh, because everybody's individual. Again, we're talking about mentoring here. So there are individual differences between your parents and mine. Right. That, you know, uh, and, and, and the way that people tend to influence others. I'm sure there are regional differences between the Northeast and the South. I am hard pressed to determine how those differences might affect parental mentoring and understanding once again, that it's hard to separate parenting from coaching, from teaching, from mentoring. Right. You know, and we're kind of adding some artificial barriers here when we're talking about mentoring but we started with how did where do we get started you know and clearly i think the one thing that you and i uh had a shared lesson on was that it was important to give back right it's important to provide assistance when asked and part of that assistance is in is in the area of psychological development and and professional development and i think the reason we're talking about it is because it is as important to our profession or to the or to the development of professionals within our profession as the 
acuity of our education system. And we, as uh, practicing veterinarians in whatever discipline we're in, need to recognize that. That's what helps make our profession successful. And without it, without that expectation, give me for saying this, but it takes a village, right. essentially, right. to create the society we want. So besides your parents, uh, let me, I'll, I'll talk about myself first, because I'll lead into the question with a paragraph, of course, because that's what I do well. <laughs> I would, I was not a student athlete, and I really don't think I had any academicians through elementary, middle school, or high school that were nurturing. I think it was probably when I started to work in a veterinary clinic for veterinarians that was probably the next level of mentoring that I received, which of course was at the age of 15, so it was relatively young, but that was the next level of mentoring that I received that was influential in helping me go forward. Now, I know you were a student athlete and played tennis. Were there resources within your, before you got into the college level, were there resources that you found to be mentors throughout your development besides your parents? Oh, absolutely. And I don't know how unusual my life was. The more I talk, the more I realize that I'm talking to people who don't who 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 didn't have the same opportunities. But again, growing up in the South during the civil rights movement, there was a lot of public and private mentoring going on in the black community. And I now realize how much I benefited from the activism that was occurring on a, almost on a daily basis. Uh, you got to imagine. So on the one hand, every day in the news during the 60s, almost every day, other than the Vietnam War, Black Panthers, SNCC, NAACP, Martin Luther King, they were on the news in some fashion. And how they were responding to social justice issues was constantly discussed in my household, which was a form of mentoring for me to the point that I realized I was expected to, to be a part of that. And it infiltrated even in our education, in our formal education, our teachers also felt that it was their responsibility to not just teach us math, but to prepare us for not being jilted by contracts that would take advantage of us, of, of our situation or our race. And I also was lucky to be a member of a family who was headed by a college graduate who was director of food service at an HBCU. And as a result, I had access to people that most people didn't have access to. When I was nine years old, I would, I would, I was a busboy at banquets that my father would serve. So I got to hear the president of um, Jackson State give speeches. I, I got to go to his house for receptions that I was actually working in, but I got to hear these people talk about the issues of the day. I now understand the intellectual development that occurred as a result of those experiences. 
you know. Now, at the same time, at some point when I, I when I turned six or seven, my father realized that uh, I had a talent for science and I loved animals. And he's the one who decided, you know what? He's a Tuskegee graduate. He knew there was a vet school at Tuskegee. He knew there was a, a Tuskegee veterinarian in Jackson. He knew him. So he took me to his clinic. And that man became one of my mentors immediately. But we didn't just talk about vet med. His name was Roland Powell. He ended up buying a share of the local television station. I learned a lot about business from him, as well as a lot about life. We didn't necessarily see everything eye to eye, but I had a lot of admiration for him and his wife, Sandra. You know, there were many aspects of my life where I learned how to select my mentors. There was a disc jockey that was almost a comedian, and he had a, he had a local show once, once Jackson started allowing African-Americans to be on TV and own their own show. Uh, but his name was Joby Martin. He was, he, was, he was a radio personality. He was very funny, but he was also very serious. And I got to see the serious side of him. Now, at the time, I had no idea that I was walking among royalty. I, I don't think anybody thought of him as that. I now do. Because I understand that he was one of the leaders of the community. And I played with their children. And of course, I've already told you the story of how my of, of Megar Evers and how, how he was a heralded hero before he got shot. Uh, but that's the kind of atmosphere I was in. So everybody essentially understood their role in trying to improve our local society. And in doing so, mentors were available almost, you know, they, they almost fell over each other. As a matter of fact, it was probably the most effective way of recruiting uh, new talent into the movement. So looking back, in our case, over 40 years now, we didn't call them mentors. We went through the process, but they didn't have a name. Right. Exactly right. They were looked at as maybe as teachers, maybe as influencers, but we didn't call them mentors per se. And, and so I don't know when the term mentor escalated. I remember the TV show Kung Fu with Poe and Grasshopper, and that kind of was a mentor-mentee relationship. And then Yoda and Luke Skywalker in Star Wars. But we never called them those terms. It, it, it's interesting that we look back and say, you know what? They really were mentoring at that point in time, but we didn't have a name for it. I don't care. I mean, a rose by any other name, right? Yeah. And to be clear, we're talking about a function outside of teaching or, or coaching. Right. We're talking about function of an advisor that right. essentially results in personality development, professional development, those soft skills that we keep talking about, yeah. you know, but you know, now that we're talking about it, I realize essentially these were people who validated what your parents taught you. Because right? we never listened to what our parents said. Because right? we never listened to our parents, right? <laughs> I mean, we heard it, but it didn't matter until somebody else said it or confirmed it or repeated you know, it. I, I think, and you'll probably agree with this, I hope. Until you become a parent, you don't appreciate what your parents said to you. And then now you start becoming your parents. I just know that the older I get, the smarter my dad becomes. Touche. Can we put that on your grave? 
<laughs> because I think we could, we need a t-shirt for all people who are over the age of 60 that says something to that effect. So it's true though. I mean, I don't think I nearly appreciated the mentoring that I got until I became a parent. Well, I do know that even at a young age, I began to crave mentoring. Those people I told you that I met that I respected. Uh, at, at that time, children were seen, not heard. And if people were listening, you would know it because everybody was quiet. <laughs> you know, I learned different things from different people. And by the time I got into high school, I think I learned that one of the key, one of the key factors for effective mentorship is respect. We go through the process now of uh, assigning our students when we when they come in and advise a faculty advisor, right? And it's a random selection, understanding that half of them won't last. You know, we just want to make sure there's some resource available for the students in, in case there are things we haven't we we uh, overlooked that they might need. And the reason is is because they haven't had a, a chance to develop the respect for those individuals in the areas that the the student may be concerned and we recognize that in the end by by the end of the first year they will navigate to the people they need to navigate to they will find those people that they respect for whatever reasons they respect them but in order to have that respect you must behave respectfully it's a mutual respect yes but i i don't think you understand you understand what i was trying to say mm -hmm. uh, uh because i didn't say it well you you're right it is a mutual respect well, but you must behave in a manner that garners respect. Right. You have to earn it. You have to earn. You have. Yes. You have to earn it. You have to have the competence if it's a professional mentoring or the value system if it's a social mentoring that we're looking for. I now understand that you don't have to be perfect. All of us are still human beings. And. I now know that the integrity of all the people that I mentioned, I just mentioned that I looked up to in awe had cracks in the shield, in their shield. It didn't make them any less important to me. And unfortunately, in today's day and time, we would rather exalt every deficiency, personality deficiency, than, than to look at the balance of an individual's contributions. Well, there's there's more and more to indicate that vulnerability is a strength, not a weakness. And so the, the cracks in the windshield, which might have indicated some levels of vulnerability, probably made them better when it came down to being a mentor. I, I think I'm being a little more critical than vulnerability. I'm saying that uh, I saw the president of Jackson State make some serious mistakes, be it policy or personal, but they were mistakes. They weren't necessarily character flaws without getting into any details. But my heroes didn't have perfect lives. And But on the other hand, it's not for me to judge those imperfections. It's the people that my heroes affected to determine whether they can forgive them or not. You know, we're not talking about robbing a bank, killing anybody, you know. We're, but what I'm trying to get to is, is that we need to understand that even our mentors are human beings. And imperfections come with that. Absolutely. And, and I think, again, it, it makes you stronger to have imperfections because we learn through mistakes. We learn through feedback. And uh, perfection is next to impossible to attain. And so it's by those 
mistakes and feedbacks and whatever that make us better as a mentor. If, if you allow me to blow your horn a little bit, I mean, I've, I've observed how much you care about mentoring. You mentor students across the entire nation. Not sure if you provide mentoring for young and mid-career graduates. That may, that may be more education than mentoring. But I, I want to openly applaud you for the time that you invest. You seem to want to make sure that every graduate that comes out of any school has a basis of business that you didn't have when you when you graduated. Yeah, I personally think that's that's a worthwhile goal. I just hope you don't kill yourself trying to do it. <laughs> uh, and you're slowly becoming contaminated and becoming an academician as you do it because you're learning a lot about about education and education techniques. But the basic desire comes from your sense of wanting to mentor. And, and you have a number of people, and I've seen them, you have a number of mentees that appreciate not just what they've learned from you, but the time that you have engaged with them. And I think that is the other thing we haven't talked about. And that is the fact that mentoring someone requires self-sacrifice. I'm paid to teach. I was paid to be a dean. Stepping further uh, in education is because I enjoy it. But even beyond that, you know, I've had mentees where I've had to take Zoom meetings at on a Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon or Sunday night because they're in Texas and and they're trying to get a job with USDA. And one of my former students needed some assistance with a protege. I don't even know this person, but it's good for the profession if, if I can help this, this person. And it's worth it to me, if no other reason than to model the behavior for my former student. Well, I'm uh, I'm speechless. I, I want to thank you for the call out. It probably comes from a number of different things. I, I think some of it comes from the leadership that I saw while in veterinary school from people like Dr. Irv Small, who um, was a very influential faculty member and uh, dean, associate dean at University of Illinois. I think some of it comes from me thinking to try to leave the profession better for the next generation and to learn from things that maybe I didn't learn. But you know, you're right, I, I do commit time to not just the students at Western who I teach and not just to the admissions committee that I'm involved with to help identify the next generation of students, but to any of the veterinary schools that reach out, it, the time is something I will commit. And I won't ask for anything more than just a mutual respect if in the same way that you were mentoring one of your former students, if a student needs my help, they will get my time. And as long as it, there's a res mutual respect, so I, I appreciate that. And I think that's a great place to end this conversation because that was a great high note. So, <laughs> Well, before, no. before we did it. I, no, I'm, I don't, I'm just kidding on that one. I, I wanted to take the compliment and run. I would acknowledge that. Um... I knew Dr. Small, too. I knew him quite well, as a matter of fact, even as a student, because Dr. Small used to come to Tuskegee, not just to give lectures. He got in the clinic. He advised Dr. Bowie on how to handle certain issues. It's a sign of greatness when people have such a wide effect within a profession. 
I actually got to know him personally later as after I graduated. And I consider him to be one of my mentors as well. I have a number of mentors from a lot of other colleges that that are too numerous to count. But when I got into the veterinary profession, I would clearly, you can name your faculty and your administration. Of course, you know, I did not know until after I graduated that many of us didn't, never met our deans or did, didn't want to know the dean because the only reason you would know the dean is because you were in trouble. <laughs> um, two of the deans at Tuskegee actually Actually, the whole administration at Tuskegee, when I was there, was very instrumental in terms of being mentors to me. Dr. Walter Bowie was the dean uh, at the time that I joined. And of course, I ha we had some significant faculty that influenced me. And I think, once again, I benefited from the fact that it was only a class of 45. And similar to my experience in the 60s, the faculty was committed to preparing me for not just veterinary medicine, but the social obstacles I was going to have to face. There was an additional education there that I considered mentoring. They were willing to offer it to anybody, but I don't think everybody took advantage of it. Yeah, I, I, um, I would love to say that I can remember a faculty member at U of I that was a mentor, maybe Joe Dorner, in pathology, but I can't remember that many. It really wasn't until I was out in private practice that the next level of mentoring came in. And that was in the th second, third, and fourth jobs. The first job, no mentoring there. That lasted three months. That was a nightmare. Um, but the next three jobs uh, all had great mentors. So now we're moving into the professional arena after yeah. graduation, after veterinary school. And that's where mentoring becomes, is, is just as critical. Yeah, absolutely. Right? We cannot, we should not rely on, on the colleges to prepare our graduates for everything. They can't. First of all, nobody knows what to prepare them for. And we, we were having this discussion just prior to this discussion and that the best we can do is prepare our students to be prepared for the future without knowing where the future is going to take us. That means that we need to prepare perpetual students. They need to expect to be perpetual students. But that's where your experience comes in, in helping the profession survive. Because your experience of dealing with unanticipated developments throughout your career is how our young graduates are going to survive. And why should they have to reinvent the wheel? They shouldn't. They should just make the wheel run smoother. Sometimes I think we forget how naive we were when we graduated. Naive? I no. felt like a fool that just couldn't stand up, or a fool, one of the well, other. Well, sometimes I hear seasoned practitioners demand that students be seasoned when they graduate, as if that's how they came out of the box. Yeah, we have short-term memories, Phil. I mean, we only remember what's right in front of us. So those of us who are talking to uh, faculty at universities and say we want them to be seasoned, it's because we forgot what it was like when we came out of school. That's what, exactly. So, and retrospectively, the students coming out of school in 2022, 2023, are at the same baby cow, baby horse 
level that I was when I came out of school. It's just the probably the expectations are even higher now from clinicians than they were when I got out of school and when you got well, out of school. The liabilities are definitely different. Yeah. The uh, the value systems have definitely changed and become entrenched. I think the challenges have become greater because the expectations from consumers, from colleagues, from regulatory agencies, maybe they were there, but I think we're just much more aware of them now and much more sensitized to them. And of course, social media doesn't help in some of these things too. Ladies and gentlemen, this is why I have an interpreter <laughs> on in the conversation. Because <laughs> clearly I wasn't being clear. Uh, but that's exactly what I was trying to say, uh, Peter. <laughs> that's why our liability has changed, has um, worsened, if you will, because of those expectations. You and I had a discussion once before about when the pet moved into the house. Uh, right now, there are more individuals that that have no children, and they're having children later and later or deciding not to and, and, and deciding that their pets are good enough. But that also allows them to emote more on their pets, which creates a, uh, additional demand for veterinary services, as well as the quality of those veterinary services. And so all those things add up. But I, I do remember during my career hearing certain practitioners complaining that the graduates I sent them, this was from an, another institution I was working at, but that the graduates I sent them, uh, it was taking them too long to do a spay. It, it took them an hour to do a spay. And my, my response was, that's why they call it practice. You know, the post-vet school edge, uh, experience, when I graduated, we didn't call it mentoring. We called it work experience. We called it, it almost was an apprenticeship depending upon whether there was a captain steering the apprenticeship or they let you try to steer your own apprenticeship. But, you know, there, it was, there was a certain unwritten discussion of the fact that when somebody hired you, they would help you ultimately become successful. We didn't have a name for it. We didn't call it mentoring. Now we have a name for it. And I'm just trying to remember when the term started to begin, become much more commonly used for the veterinary field and uh, I would also, I can talk about the business side and, and how I got mentored there as well. But I do think that we just didn't call it what we call it now. And it just was, it was an expectation of a new hire to take their new graduate under their wing and give them the tools to be successful. Well, I don't care what you call it. The right. point is, is that you can't expect a graduate to come out. Uh, well, I mean, I shouldn't say that. Many of us came out and opened our own clinics and learned on and learned the hard way, right? But it doesn't have to be that way. And even then, those of us who opened our own clinic and became sole proprietors, unless they were in a small town with a very with um, harsh conditions and a very competitive environment, we tended to help each other. Even then, I can't tell you how many stories I've heard of veterinarians who close their clinic and go to the, the newest clinic that just opened up to help somebody with a bad splenectomy or a pyometra or something that uh, that a brand new veterinarian is struggling with. That's part of mentoring too. Again, as a profession, the more we, re we recognize we're in this together, there was a time when everybody had their own, when everybody did their own emergencies too. We finally figured out 
figure that out. You know, one day we're going to figure out that everybody doesn't have to have an x-ray machine in, in town, that there can be communal uh, radiography units so that not, not only can we share in the expense of providing those services, we can improve the quality of the services that we provide. Well, we could expand that to surgery suites and lab equipment as well, and it makes our profitabilities go up. But that's a whole different discussion on the business side, but you're absolutely correct. And it goes into a discussion of collegiality, which in many ways is mentoring too, helping each other out. Yes. Well, that's if you're not going to get any, you're not going to get mentoring if you're not going to be collegial. Right. So I opened my hospital three years out of school. And I recognized in the community that there were those who were there to support me and those who saw me as competition. And, and you befriend the colleagues and you respect those who saw you as competition. You get mentored now and then in business. And there were some very good mentors that I had in the profession. And then there were others who were both consultants in the veterinary field and others in business who helped me uh, smooth out some of the rough edges as a small business owner. Because, Phil, as difficult as it is to be a clinician, it's equally as difficult to be a small business owner. Each come with challenges that you just can't learn from a textbook or a clinic. You learn from making mistakes and feedback and talking to others and, and commiserating. And so mentoring comes with many different components and, and some of it is is how to be a better clinician, a better person, a better communicator, a better business person, a better leader, et cetera. And I, and I think that is that this, that when it comes to mentoring and, and we mentioned this, you mentioned this earlier to me one-on-one, -on -one, you're still getting mentoring and so am I. It doesn't stop, it's like education, it just doesn't stop. We continue to receive and we continue to give when it comes to mentoring throughout our lives and throughout our profession. Yep. All I get is a yep out of that. That's that's pretty good. Now I got to go off on another soapbox. So I, <laughs> <laughs> I've talked about some mentoring programs that, that I've worked on, and, and I like to think of mentoring as having three components to it, the head, the heart, and the hands when it comes to a veterinarian. The, the hands are the technical part. The head is, is the thinking, and, and the heart is the communication. And, and I think that that's what I try to do when I'm working with young colleagues is, is focusing on, I, I focus on the head and the heart because I'm not in a clinical setting to focus on the technical side of things. But I think in a, in a practical setting, um, there's a, a variety of different components to, to actually mentoring when it comes down to it. Yeah. The common message that we've we've said here is is, is that uh, mentoring has always been an important aspect of professional development in the veterinary profession, whether we had a name for it or not. The act is nothing new. It is one. Of, it is part of the value system of this profession. Uh, it can be complicated by competition. It can definitely be complicated by uh, by a limited resource approach, as opposed to a rising tide raises all boats. But I don't think anybody seriously questions the benefit of a profession that embraces mentorship. And and I think 
what we've seen in the last probably five years is a huge growth of resources within the veterinary profession that offer mentoring at different levels from different people to our young colleagues or even our experienced colleagues. And so I think when you recognize that there is a need, somebody comes along and starts to find and fill those needs. And I think we're starting to see more and more of that in terms of mentoring programs that are available and accessible, whether it's deans or new graduates. So I want to digress for just a second. Uh, Doug Freeman, former dean at Saskatchewan, published a paper or two, I believe in JAFMA, that talks about starting mentoring even at the vet school level. Any comments on, on that? All right, what do you want me to say about that? I mean, I have a problem with that. I guess my question to you there is, I'm not sure I know what he's trying to trying to accomplish here. On the one hand, it, it seems to be a mixed question to me. We just said that mentoring occurs, starts at, the, at childhood. So, of course, we will have mentoring in vet school. Right. Whether we should teach the, the tenets of, me, of, of mentoring in vet school raises the question, where are you going to put it? I mean, I understand that if you understand how to mentor, you become better mentors, right? But should that be our goal in vet school? Or should our goal be to help develop the professional nature of the graduate? I don't teach my students how to teach cardiology. I teach cardiology. If, if, if our students need mentoring, then let's mentor them. And we, could, we have plenty of time to teach them how to mentor during their career. And so, you know, uh, this just goes back to your wanting to um, teach them how to, write, how to write a resume in the first year. Something's got to give if, you, if, if we expect to have a humanistic curriculum. Of course, one can argue for it. I mean, I, I'm not saying that, it's, that it wouldn't be helpful, but I am saying I don't think it's practical. I'm, I'm not arguing one way or the other, except to suggest that there was a suggestion from a dean that mentoring and helping students be, could become good mentees could be part of that four-year professional curriculum well whether the students become it's kind of like helping students become good students i mean they have to do their part too right, right. absolutely you know? and so the, the way you phrased the question i was focusing on the mentors not the mentees right and essentially now this information suggests that i i, I totally misread the question or you didn't translate what you really meant however my answer is more consistent with what you want if, if you want to make them better mentees, just give them the expectations of the mentees. They still got to do it. But I do believe, and there are programs out there post-graduation where you can learn how to be a mentor. I think the recognition of the importance of mentoring in our profession is the inciting uh, need. And then I think we know how to handle it after that. That's why we're having this conversation is because right. we, when we 
earlier, we decided that mentoring has become such a relevant component of our profession that it warrants a conversation. Yes. And that understanding that there are resources and you may not find them in the practice that you're working, but there are resources for you as a mentee to help you deal with the social components, the communication components, the psychological components, and even to a degree, the, the clinical components of being a new contributor to the veterinary profession and affording yourself of these opportunities to make sure that you can become all that you can be is extremely important to your career satisfaction and your career longevity. Well, I don't think I can add anything to that. That was very well said. I'm going to take this opportunity to thank Nationwide one, one more time for giving us the opportunity to talk about the importance of mentorship. And I'd want to encourage all of our colleagues to embrace the value system that includes mentorship and to understand our collegial role in developing this profession by assisting the development of our new graduates and our colleagues. Well, thank you, Mentor Phil, and thank you nationwide, and thanks to all of you with whom we charge to continue to make the profession better, whether you're a mentee or a mentor, because we can all help each other out. So thanks for listening. Look forward to sharing more with you next time. Thank you for joining us for another Courageous Conversation. Be sure to follow us and check back next week for more.